Welcome to another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brand, a political edition with Rick Klein, the ABC News political director, talking about the election, what could happen, and sort of looking back historically on this divisive and polarizing election between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. But first, a word from elite team. You know, fans, there are these luxurious NFL and college sports blankets. They're made right here in the USA. It's elite team. They're actually two blankets sewn into one. They're machine washable. They get softer with every wash, 100% made in the USA. You've never felt a blanket like this. Wrap yourself in them in your man cave, and you can feel for yourself. ShopEliteTeam.com. You save 10% promo code TUCKER, all caps, T-U-C-K-E-R. Get wrapped in your game day ritual. Elite Team, the official blanket of pure fandomonium. Again, promo code TUCKER, all caps, T-U-C-K-E-R, to save 10%. At EliteTeam.com. Contracts, salary caps. Why do our favorite teams make some of the moves they do? It's usually the money. It's time for the business of sports with Andrew Brandt. And welcome back to another edition of the business of sports. It's Andrew Brandt with a special guest and special topic. I'm sure it's on everyone's mind, and why not? It's election day. And I have political director at ABC, a friend, someone I do podcasts with at ESPN, along with Andy Katz. Let's welcome Rick Klein into the Business of Sports podcast. Rick, thanks for being with me. Hey, great to be with you. And we're here after a year <laughs> of, uh, of, I guess, the buildup, a year of the, the, not the main event, I guess the undercard, and we're finally here for the election I know there's a lot of you're talking about this all the time. There's a lot of ways we can go with this. I guess my question to you is kind of an out, out of the left field one, which is how does this happen? Uh, how does a guy that <laughs> it just looked like this was cute, this was a curiosity, this was interesting, a celebrity last year uh, going into the field of all these quote unquote serious candidates in the Republican Party? But here he is, not only still standing, but a formidable foe for the. Uh, the seasoned Hillary Clinton and the Clinton family. So what's your best explanation of how this happened? Well, I think he saw things in the American public, in the voting public, in the psyche of of the nation, and he exploited them. He didn't create these forces. He exposed them. And I think from the beginning, from the, with the bluster and the, the celebrity and the marketing and the sort of dream life that he portrays for people, the brand of Donald Trump, to the issues that he that he led with, he was striking right at the heart of a lot of the, the fears and hopes of, of voters. And mm-hmm. I, I think what it exposed was that the parties, both parties, because I think you saw similar similar phenomenon on the left with Bernie Sanders with a different uh, ideology. Right. Both parties weren't, li- weren't, they weren't listening to their own voters. And, you know, the party you can define a party by its values uh, as uh, as embodied by its elected officials, or you can define it by its voters. And Donald Trump redefined it by just getting more votes than the other folks did. And and I think the personality was all wrapped up in it, and the persona was all wrapped up in it. But, you know, at, at heart, people were voting because he tapped into something that wasn't uh, wasn't being discussed in kind of polite Republican circles. And how do you define that? I've said that same phrase a few times in my limited understanding of it, but he has tapped into something. How do you define that something other than just sort of people feeling neglected by their other choices? Well, I think think he has said, look, no one cares about either party. They think everyone's getting screwed. And there's a general sense that 
that he's that he is tapped into of the country's just not moving in the right direction. Right. Uh, and I think if you look, this this cuts across party lines, but there's real economic stagnation in the middle here. Uh, it, the, the country's doing fine economically, but if you're in the middle, you've seen real wages decline in the last 35 years. The rich have gotten richer, and you don't have to be poor to feel like you're getting screwed in that scenario. And there's a lot of folks, and I've heard the story many times, because people, many of them haven't gone to college. Uh, they saw their parents and their grandparents scratch out a living that resulted in a pension, and there's a feeling that they have of, we're just getting, we're getting the shaft here. So there's an economic populism that I think you have to, you have to start at. Then I think the, the immigration issue stems from that because mm-hmm. it's easy to take from there. Look, look who's getting your jobs instead. Look who's doing so well in this country. We're, we're propping up immigrants. We have open borders, those sort of, those sort of things. And then I think the foreign policy piece of it completes it where it's, look, the problem here is both parties. We've gone on these foreign par- policy adventures. We try to be the world's policemen. We're, sending aid to all these countries that hate us, you know, and we're getting beat by China and Russia. And so we need to be tough and we need to be smart and we need to be more inward looking than outward looking. And I think that there's strains of that that have, that have happened in elections elsewhere in the country. More often than not, that's happening now. And I think that that, that doesn't define, or that doesn't get defined by any party. That mix of isolationism and bluster on the foreign policy side and the populism on the economic side there, that doesn't exist, or it didn't exist before in, in any previous primary that we've had in recent decades. And so he was creating his own movement by creating a, an issue subset that appeals to people in a way, a way that the party did. You know, it's interesting because all those things you mentioned are, in, are, are interesting as to how he gained this traction. I guess the question then becomes this bluster, this bravado, this gusto, the tweeting, the insulting. Yeah. And we don't need to go into specifics, but that continues. And it's almost like we're in this Twitter age that by the time we're parsing one outrageous comment, he's on to the next. Uh, yeah. And that has somehow even, I wouldn't say uh, surprised us, but it, it just seems to not, not knock him off his perch. Well, and that's the piece of it that I, that I do find fascinating, among many other things. But right. it, it does seem like it's almost pathological, like he has a need to go say these things. Because when you hear, when I talk to mainstream Republicans and they, and they want to justify Donald Trump, they say basically what I've been saying, look, we weren't listening, he's tapped into something real here, he started the movement. And then they say, if you could just tone down the personal insults, the tweets and, the, and the, the, the foul language and just apologize, you shouldn't be insulting the families of, of fallen, fallen uh, service members, you shouldn't right. be insulting the Pope. You don't, you know, enough with the rough talk about women. If you just sand away those edges... But I think Trump has just, he, he's cultivated a brand that's far, that's far exceeded anything from this campaign. It goes like decades. And that kind of shoots from the hip. I know what my, my, my supporters, my followers, the people that, that want to live my life, uh, he knows what they think. And he trusts that instinct above all else. Trust me, he's hired political advisors. None of them are saying, why don't you go out there and tweet about how ugly Rosie O'Donnell is? <laughs> it doesn't happen. That's his own gut. And even his own family doesn't like it when he does that. And that, I think, if he loses this election narrowly, a lot of people will say, well, look, there's a potent force here if you put it in a different direction. And if you just said the things that Donald Trump said, but you didn't also insult people, and you, maybe you said it with a smile instead of a scowl, then you have the building blocks or something. And that's where I think this is not going to settle an argument for Republicans. If he were to get blown out, you could say, look, you know, Trump isn't, if it didn't work with Trump, it won't work with anyone else. 
if he loses narrowly, you'll have people picking up the mantle saying, look, he did something powerful here. He beat 16 people in the primaries and he came within a couple of states and, you know, a couple of percentage points of becoming president. Let's do it with someone who's younger and less offensive and less brash and bullying. And we can get it done. And that, that I think, is what really worries Republicans, is that, uh, or a lot of mainstream establishment Republicans, is that this isn't going to end the argument. It's going to just advance it, exacerbate it. Yeah, that's a great point. And it's funny when you talk about all these people trying to get him to be uh, what I would consider, I guess, is more presidential. And he can't, yeah. he can't help himself. I revert, revert back to sports here. And a guy I cover a lot, who's maybe the most powerful person in sports, Roger Goodell, in my opinion, he just cannot help himself from not being presidential. I think everybody <laughs> wants to see a more human side to him, a more off the cuff, less less guarded, less corporate, and he maintains that kind of non-revealing, bland position, the opposite of Trump. It's an interesting dichotomy because I think Goodell would help himself being less presidential, and as you <laughs> noted, uh, Donald Trump just seems incapable of being "quote unquote" presidential. Yeah, I think that's I think that's that's right. The, the other piece of this that I think you know we we look at these things in big historical uh, terms. Rightfully, we look at presidential elections and nominations as if they are foregone conclusions. You know, I we think about it from the sports perspective. You play the game, and whatever right. strategy you have, then you know whatever stra- the, you, the tactics matter as well. And the fact is that sixteen people lined up against him. They didn't think he was a real threat. And he was always somebody else's problem until he was everybody's problem. So we didn't see, you know, you can go back and rewind it 18 months. It's the super PACs that were that Jeb Bush had lined up. If they had attacked Donald Trump instead of Marco Rubio, uh, if Ted Cruz right. had decided to ally himself with Trump early on, the game may have been played out differently. So you know, Trump Trump did a lot of things here and exposed a lot of uh, a lot of things about the country, but he also had to win on a tactical level, play by play. And, you know, that I think that I think changes the analysis a little bit, because I think both things are important in understanding the rise of Trump, the, the broad themes that he tapped into and then down in the trenches, how this played out over many, many crazy months. Moving to the other side, you know, we have Hillary Clinton, who is uh, we can talk in a minute about what could happen in the polls and everything yeah. else. But she has. I guess the question is, with all the brashness and, and the brigaccio of Trump, would this not even be close if it was a stronger candidate on the other side, in your opinion? So I, I've thought a lot about this, and, and I think it's easy analysis to my mind to say, plug Marco Rubio or plug John right. Kasich or you know, plug any of these people or plug Barack Obama on the Democratic side or the other side. Right. The, the fact is, it would, it would have been an entirely different campaign. So I can't. It, it, it's it's not that easy to my right. mind. And you know, if you think back in sports, well, you know, I think clearly the the Cubs and the Indians are about as evenly matched as possible. Now, what if the American League? What if the American League champion the Ducks instead? Right. I you know I don't I don't know what would have happened over the course of a seven game series. Uh, I could say that I think the Indians are better than the Red Sox, but they didn't. But there would have been different matchups at different times, and maybe Big Poppy would have gone on a crazy tear. So I, I just have a hard time rewinding that uh, and trying to unravel all of the, the wacky things that happened. I do think that you know Hillary Clinton, if she wins, she wins very narrowly and kind of scares a lot of Democrats about it. And, and a stronger Democrat would probably have done better, and I think a stronger Republican would probably have done better as well, just by virtue of the fact that these are the two 
least popular major party nominees in history. Uh, if you had found someone who was just marginally less, less, less unlike, <laughs> you'd have to give them a better, a better shot. But the issue set would have been different. And I think you would have had them argue about different things and the, the, the advertising would have been different and people's perceptions would have changed over time. Yeah, and I think that the, obviously there's the trust issue with Hillary and whether it's the emails or whether it's just being a career politician, do you think if, assuming she does win, she will overcome that uh, having won the election, the sort of the trust issue that seems to linger over her? You know, I, I, I worry about that from both directions. Now, I think people are going to, I think every every president that we were used to talking about honeymoons, I don't know that modern presidents get a honeymoon in, in this environment. Um, someone smart said um, recently she's going to have to earn her honeymoon after the election. And right. I think there's something to that. The thing that, you know, I, I think we could be stuck in another cycle of constant investigations and innuendo and, and, uh, and allegations and special prosecutors and impeachment talk and all of that. Uh, I, I don't know that Republicans would be well advised to do that, but I could easily see a post-election scenario like that. The more hopeful part of me thinks that we'll have a moment to sort of calm down at the end of this, and we'll probably almost certainly have a Republican House. We may have mm-hmm. a Republican Senate. We may have a Democratic Senate. But what, what's the tone? What's the tenor? How celebratory it is? How much do they kind of rub Republicans' faces in the victory? What's her first move? Does she, does she pick something legislatively like infrastructure reform, for instance, where she could get Republicans on board. Does she go very combative and try to capitalize on the moment and push through immigration and say, well, I want to repudiate. She's going to have a lot of governing decisions. Not everything's in her hands. And I think, you know, Republicans are going to have just about every incentive built in to oppose her. So what does she do to change that calculus? Or do we just count on another four years of pitch warfare? I guess my question to you, Rick, is, and we're with Rick Klein, the political director at ABC, can that be changed? I mean, from the outside, I know some people are frustrated with politics because gridlock seems to be the norm. Can someone, I mean, Barack Obama, forget whatever you think about him politically, just does seem like a reasonable guy that could get people together. I mean, his background is community organizer, and he couldn't do it. And that's that's such a great point, because having you remember the feeling in 2008 whether you'd voted for him or not yeah. there was a feeling of kind of national unity if things were moving in the right direction and he did have a honeymoon and it didn't last and two years later he had a republican congress and you know he never would have democrats in control again and they ended up spending six years defending what he did in the initial two and i've heard a theory out there that says that everyone these days has an expiration date uh, and that's one reason you can explain Donald Trump is that he knows the excitement of the news cycle and trying to do something new and something fresh. And that Obama got stale very fast. Mm-hmm. I also, you know, I've heard I've heard Obama, who's unusually thoughtful about these things, describe his role in history as, as writing a paragraph. And I think he does think about things in that very long term perspective. Uh, but I, I don't know that there's a politician that's capable of breaking through. I, I feel like there has to be something that kind of shakes the system to its core. And I actually don't think that's going to be Trump. I think there was a chance a couple of weeks ago if, if this looked like it was going to be a broad repudiation of Trump. If he lost in a Goldwater-style landslide right. or Mondale-style landslide, th- then you could, have, you could have made a plausible argument. This was such a massive repudiation that it almost has to be a mandate for her. If we're talking on election night about Ohio and Iowa and North Carolina and Florida, and they're all within a couple of points, the half of the country almost that voted for Trump isn't going to suddenly say, you know, you're right, it's Hillary. People hate these candidates so much that I, I, I fear that 
it's going to be hard to find that cathartic healing moment at the end of this. And I would be remiss, and I know it's hard to, to condense down to a soundbite, but it's kind of a, a look, uh, a postscript on Obama as he leaves office. Do you have one that I could sort of synthesize quickly here? Sure. I, I feel like history will be pretty good to Barack Obama. Right. Uh, there's a couple of a couple of sentences of that history. First African American president, that huge barrier busted, and uh, health care. Uh, uh, the foreign policy stuff is still always going to be a question mark. You really can't judge that for decades, but. I think people will are likely to view him as someone who came in with good intentions. There weren't a lot of scandals. Um, he he managed through a bunch of tumultuous times. It's hard to imagine getting a worse hand dealt than he did with the economic mm-hmm. crisis and foreign policy crises and uh, the the budget situation and then the governing situation. So, you know, I I, I think people will, as, as you put it, you know, people think he got into it for the right reasons and uh, and made efforts to do it. I think people will always be critical, I think rightfully, of his failure to or or you know or inability to bridge divides. And I don't know that he really cared that much to, to do it. I think he was more interested in winning and making that statement. Uh, but I think I my sense is he's leaving well he's leaving with high approval ratings, uh, far better than, than, than George W. Bush had on his time out of office. Uh, things will go up and down and but I uh, my guess would be he's he's viewed as a if not successful, then you know a mid-range president, at least someone that was in it again for the right reasons and, and tried his best in a very tough time in this country. Couple last questions, Rick Klein, political director at ABC, a good friend, join us at this busy time with the election. The last question will be about the election, but my second to last question is about bringing it back to the NFL with the ratings down. I guess I've reserved judgment until after this election. Uh, I know everyone talks about the product being down and pace of play and officials yeah. and concussions. All those things have been around the past few years. The one thing that's a little different besides the election is people feeling this sort of Kaepernick social justice bringing the league down. I'm not so sure about that. Anyway, I expect an uptick after the election. I don't know if it will reach back to 2015 record numbers. Do you think the election is the primary reason for the NFL ratings being down? You know, Andy and I have talked about it on yeah. the our show and, and I, I don't buy it. I, I just I, I feel like the country hasn't evolved in this political moment. But I think the forces that are working against the NFL are not closely related to the interest in the election. Uh, if anything, you know, I found sports for me to be an outlet to be a relief. I think the issues right. around cord cutting and the issues around uh, about the way people consume uh, sports and any any other media for that matter are a lot bigger. And I also think the issues that the NFL uh, faces in terms of head injuries and substance abuse and domestic violence. Uh, forget Kaepernick. That's, that's, you can throw, but you can throw that in the mix and say they're in the headlines for a lot of bad reasons. Uh, I think right. they have to be worried about that. Plus, they've diluted the product. As, as, as you mentioned, uh, they're playing football more, more, more often than they're not playing football on nights now. So it doesn't feel the same as the special, you know, the special thing with bye weeks, particularly. You often don't have that compelling matchup. So I feel like they have they have some other things to, to figure out if they're looking for the end of the election to, to boost ratings and save everything. I think they're missing a lot of the really important societal factors. And just, again, just the way, we, the way we're living now around sports is just different than the way it was built even just a few years ago around live television, around sporting events is going to be critical. So therefore you can find these huge TV contracts. 
I think that's, those are those are well said points. I guess the one thing is that this election in particular is so polarizing, which means it draws viewers, and Trump is ratings gold. Uh, so I think the two debates going against NFL games they've had a, had a major effect. But you're right; you just can't chalk it up to the election. I do think we'll see a different sample size after the election, but again, it won't be back to 2015 levels. Um, yeah, I, it, it doesn't. It doesn't feel like that to me. Not at all. And, and the last question: As we here we go, uh, what do you think will yeah. happen? And what do you think will? We're not, we don't need to get into red state, blue state, and and yeah, yeah. battlegrounds. I know you're doing that for your real job, but what do you think will happen? And what statement will it make to the country as of November ninth? I think I think well, I've looked at the map a lot of different ways. I think Hillary Clinton probably wins a, 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 a decisive but not landslide victory. Uh, I think mm-hmm. she doesn't win some of the battlegrounds in Ohio and Iowa. I think are very difficult. I think she wins Florida, North Carolina. I'm on, I go back and forth every hour on. Um, my, so I think the, it will be it will be clear cut, and I think the country will move on and accept her as president. I don't believe the rig stuff will will catch on in that scenario. I think Trump even concedes. But, but again, it isn't, it isn't going to be a big enough win to me to fundamentally shift this polarized political time that we're in. And I think we're going to be fighting a lot of, a lot of the same pitch battles. And you know, I think there's going to be a big battle on the left again, to push Hillary in a certain direction. The Republicans are going to be out. And you know, we're, we're, this is going to be the beginning of or in the middle of, uh, of an extended period of uh, chaos in the political process, uh, not, uh, not some statement that ends it. Does Donald Trump leave politics? I know he'll never leave being, uh, you know, a, a name. But do <laughs> right, you think right. he goes back to his celebrity tycoon life, or does he stay in politics at some level? I, I think he dabbles in it. Although, you know, I, I, we've seen his history with other businesses, whether that's the USFL or gambling, right. where if he, if, he, if he isn't successful, he leaves entirely. Uh, I think, though, this is too big and, and there's too much of a, of a movement, and I think he likes being associated with it too much. I'd be surprised if it's, it don't get into politics at some point, either running for governor in New York or something else down the road. Um, I, I, and I don't think he's going to want to just fade quietly. I think he's going to try to lead movement. He's not going to grow a beard like Al Gore. He's not going <laughs> to kind of go quiet like Romney did for a while. I think he's going to be in the mix. I, I, don't, I wouldn't see him running again, but I would see him trying to find a way to stay as part of the conversation now that he's established himself. Rick Klein, political director at ABC News. Thanks so much for joining us and giving us insights into this historic election. Really appreciate it, Rick. Hey, thank you. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. You can also get additional insider insight by listening to the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, Fantasy Feast, Even Money, and College Draft Podcast, all at rostucker.com or wherever podcasts are found.